Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. We're back for another interesting conversation with a Georgia music teacher today that I'm really looking forward to. Before we get to that conversation, I just want to encourage all of you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues who might be interested. And for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, if you can take the time to leave a review, that apparently helps boost the show and in turn helps others to find it. And now, without further delay, let's get to today's conversation. We are joined by Diane Boyd. Hello, Diane. Hi. The first question I have for you is, tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Well, I teach piano and I am an organist and handbell director in a local church. I started piano lessons when I was seven years old and I had an average teacher, I think, (laughs) when I started. I, I won't say that she was a bad teacher, but maybe much more like an average teacher. After seven years, that teacher quit teaching and I started with another teacher and I learned a whole lot more about music. Um, I learned what theory was. I learned that theory had a relation to the music. Um, And my parents had bought me a course from St. Louis Conservatory. It was a correspondence course done through my teacher and it was about theory. So I learned a lot about theory, but I really didn't know what it had to do with, with the music itself. But I had a very good teacher. Her name was Lana Bailey. And since I have been with her, she has been president of the American Federation of Music Teachers. But she was an excellent pianist and an excellent teacher. And she taught me a lot in the three years that I had her. But I remember when I went to audition that, um, one of the people on the jury uh, said to me in their notes that they were amazed that I played as well as I did the way I did. And that was something for me to think about as a young teacher. I actually got into music, into piano teaching as a career by accident. I had an illness when I was a sophomore in high school that went on for about nine months and I was mistreated. I was treated for strep throat and it turned out that I actually was having kidney failure, but that didn't show up for a very long time and, or my doctor didn't discover it. But anyway, I ended up very ill and my kidney, the kidney that I had failed. And so I was very sick the last two and a half years that I was in high school. And at that time, of course, medicine was very different. Since I had the attack that, that when my kidney failed, there were many things that they told me that I could not do. Among them, I couldn't have children, I couldn't go to college, I couldn't, couldn't do all the normal things that a, a person could do. Activities were li- limited and that kind of thing but I was supposed to have fresh air and exercise. Well, because they had told me I couldn't go to college and I was a straight A student. And so that was very difficult thing. My parents and I talked 
to the doctors and they agreed that it would be okay for me to go to uh, school and music because they thought that was easy. It was physically easy. So, so that's why I went to school and I thought many times maybe I should change my major, do something that was more important um, because I could have gone into many things at that time. But anyway, I was very fortunate to get a very fine teacher. My teacher was from Juilliard. Her name was Elizabeth Drake and she had the patience and she played beautifully with no tension in her shoulders or back or arms or all the things that I had um, trouble with when I went to school. And so I was very fortunate to have her. It took a long time to overcome all those problems, but I learned a lot by doing it. Um, I had started playing organ when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. And I was taking organ with the organist at my church. And she happened to die as we all would like to right on the organ pitch. <laughs> so uh, my dad said, go ahead and get up there and play. So I played when, um, when she was taken out of the sanctuary. And so I was fortunate to have a church that put up with the, the learning curve. And so that's how I got into uh, playing organ. When I went to college in those days, they really didn't recommend a piano pedagogy degree where I was. So to major in music, you had to choose between instrumental and choral. Well, I sang, but um, I also played flute and had played flute and been, been playing flute for a very long time. So when I went to college, I actually majored in instrumental music. Well, that helps me today in the fact that, first of all, I, I could have been a band director, but I was able to choose to be a a piano teacher instead, but it helps me in handbells, in teaching, directing, and because you get a lot of different skills when you're learning to be a band director. I played oboe through college, and uh, so that's that's where I get all of the the things that I do. Probably the only thing that I do that that I didn't study for was page turning. Several years ago, I was on the board of a music association in town and uh, Charles Wadsworth used to bring a group of musicians to Savannah. And Charles, for those that don't know, is, was the um, director of the classical music, chamber music at the Spoleto Festival for about 50 years. So he came to Savannah and he was worried about a particular piece it involved seven different players, and he was concerned about the page turning for himself during the concert. So he asked one of the other board members to find a good page turner. Well, that board member didn't know who to ask, so he asked me. And uh, so Charles liked the way I turned pages, and so for many, many years, I have um, directed or have turned pages for these wonderful musicians from New York and all over the country uh, through that association. Charles retired when he turned 80. They've had two directors since, but uh, they continue to perform in Beaufort, South Carolina, which is nearby. So 
I have enjoyed that immensely. Great. I wonder if we can back up um, and allow me to ask a follow-up question to your story about your illness and deciding to study music because it was considered less rigorous or less demanding. Of course, those of us who are musicians know that studying music is very rigorous and very demanding. So yeah. how did that turn out for you in terms of your health and um, being able to meet those demands? Well, I didn't. I, I went to the university that my teacher had gone to, which was East Carolina University, because, because it was an easy connection to make and I didn't have to, to do much to, to get in my, between my grades and her recommendation. It was, there was no problem getting in. And, and that was a good choice of university for me. The thing about going to a university is unless you've decided very early what you're gonna do and checked out a lot of different places, you don't really realize how they are different. When I went to East Carolina, they were actually doing a pilot program from Eastman. And this pilot program involved something called comprehensive music. It did not last, uh, I don't know how long, how many years it was available, but uh, did not last because it's very hard to get teachers that can teach in the way that it was planned. But it was a great program because in, in one class, we had music history and music theory and ear training and just so much about music in the same class. And it was a 45 hour class. So uh, that's, that's a lot of music in one class. But uh, so it turned out very well for me. Years later, I was able to look back and say, I was very glad that I went into teaching piano because I think it's such an important thing to be able to work with individual students as well as groups of students and help them so much, not only in their love of music, but with, with their education, whether or not that child happens to go into music or not. That's, that's not really a goal of mine, but my, my goal is to make them musically educated and to learn to love all different kinds of music that they may not be exposed to at home. Since we are on the topic of teaching, can I ask, how do you approach teaching? What is your teaching philosophy? I learned years ago from one of the teachers that was in my association in Virginia, where I was a young teacher. I learned from her that she had great regret because she had had a favorite student that was very sweet and very nice, but difficult to teach theory to. And she said that years later, that child had gone on and tried to go to school in music and was not able to continue in music, got discouraged and quit because he just did not have the background. He had been probably a little unruly child, although she said he was very nice, but, but, but difficult to teach theory to. And so she had given up. And so it really made an impression on me as a young teacher that that was a great regret that she had, that 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 child was not prepared. So basically, my philosophy is that I want any child that studies with me to understand everything that I've given him or her musically to the point where they either quit or you know go on to something else 
or if they continue and that if they continue in music, they would be prepared at all times to, to go into whatever aspect of music that they wanted to go into. So the, the wholeness of their education is important to me. Yeah, this is a follow-up question in the same vein. How do you set goals for yourself as a teacher? And how do you set goals for your students in terms of what they are able to achieve? And um, perhaps speaking more specifically in terms of theory, what kind of curriculum or guideline do you follow if you follow any? Well, Virginia is a very different state than Georgia. You know, you, you might assume that if you go from state to state that all associations would have the same things. But I learned quickly when I moved to Georgia after teaching for 21 years in, in Virginia that Georgia was very different. Virginia had 12 levels of a keyboard skills test, 12 levels of a sight reading test, and 12 levels of a theory test. And as a young teacher, I just did what all the other teachers in my association did, which was participate in all of those events. Um, later on, I became co-chairman of the keyboard skills. I didn't have anything to do with the theory other than putting my students in, in theory um, tests when I was in Virginia. But I did just participate. All of the teachers, we had a relatively small association and where I lived in Martinsville, Virginia, we were certainly not uh, near a metropolitan area, although I had grown up in the Washington DC area. So another thing that I did was, was take my students to the um, state conferences because if I had not done that, they would have never been exposed to other kids' competitions and those kind of things. I had not been exposed to that when I was young, my teachers did not participate in any of those things. So I didn't participate in them, but I did when I joined this association. And I, I had first joined MTNA when I was in college that was strongly supported by my teacher. And um, so I was just always in MTNA back then. I actually spent uh, 14 years in the, in the food business. I am. Uh, <laughs> Start, just started out working to support myself in school and things. And um, so I, I was in the restaurant business, but I was able to work, work it out so that I could always teach. So I did both of those things. Probably the most important influence besides my local association, who was, they were active teachers that put their students in, in these events. Probably the most important thing was that every year I, for many, many years, I attended all the national conventions. And so I got a whole different picture of what teachers were able to do and what students were able to do. Um, and I learned so much from those conferences when I was a young teacher. You talked about bringing your students to conferences. Can you share a little bit about the impact and the impression attending these conferences left on your students? Yes, it really made a huge impact. They had never seen competitions and the, the competitions were all open um, at conference in Virginia. So 
if it was a MTNA um, competition or if it was a VMTA competition, they were able to go and sit in and listen to these students. And they were amazed by the repertoire they were playing and, and they were able to sit in master classes. So they learned what that was and, and you know, how students would respond in a master class like that. They learned that, that music was, it was fun, but it was serious, that there, there was a lot to learn. And um, I think it motivated them to, to practice and to get better themselves. Perhaps this has already been answered, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What are some of your favorite memories as a teacher? <laughs> when I was a very young teacher, I had a couple of friends that asked me to start their students in piano. They had been taking violin from the Suzuki teacher. And so, and she had left town, there wasn't anyone else. And so I started with these young children and I was amazed at what they were, how much they were like sponges because I did not have any children myself. So I first enrolled in a kinder music class. This was, this is when kinder music was very new to this country and got certified in that. And I went to Dalcro's Eurythmics classes and um, things like that to, to learn to incorporate movement in, into my studio. And so that memory of those two little boys that, that I started with and um, over the years I've specialized in, in teaching young ones. I think it's so important to have a really good teacher that is enthusiastic and you know really cares about each young child and knows where where you want them to go um, musically so that they get a, a good exposure to music very, from the very first. So I spent a lot of years teaching with groups back before groups were a popular thing but I uh, taught those kids in in individually, and then I put them together in groups so that they had that group experience along with it. And so those are some of my favorite memories. Then I have students that I may have taken at four or five years old, and I've had them all the way through high school. And, and those are a joy to remember because you become very independently involved in their lives and, um, and in their families. And so I had one come to visit me the other day during the Christmas break. And that's, that's always a joy to, to know what you've, that you've worked with somebody that started with no knowledge at all and that you've helped them blossom in music and, and learn to love it. Yeah, it's evident from our conversation so far that you're a very invested teacher into you're invested in the well-being and the wholeness of your students. And you've done a lot to motivate them and keep them engaged in music. You know, for a lot of teachers, that is a challenge nowadays to get students, um, young children interested in music and maybe specifically in classical music. What other motivational strategies can you share with our listeners for how to keep students engaged and um, really learn to love music? Well, 
as I said, one of the things that I do is page turning. And I was also on the board of this concert association in Savannah. I think it is so important for teachers to, to talk to the parents and the children about going to uh, musical events of all kinds, and, and then to talk with them about their experiences. In the concert association, we had a policy where the children could come for $2 per concert. And that was just so we knew who, who was coming, but then they had a, whoever accompanied them also got that $2 fee for coming to concerts. And it was such an opportunity for the children to hear music. Many of them do not hear classical music in their homes. And so I think it's really important to not only support um, the organization, musical organizations where you live, but you know, help them out in any way you can, you know, such as being on the board or whatever, but also to take your children. Uh, when I first moved to Savannah, we did not do a whole lot with students. The, the meetings were all around programs for teachers, but we didn't do much with the students. But now we do a lot more with the students and pre-COVID <laughs> encourage uh, the students to go to a lot of events and, and have a lot of events for students so they could hear others play. Thank you for that. Uh, we are approaching our very last question, which is, do you have any advice for young musical professionals and teachers as they embark on their careers and interprofessional life? One of the things that I had to learn as a teacher was to, to know who I wanted to take as a, as a student. And I know young teachers may not have that freedom to, um, they may need to take more students than they would really like to have or whatever. But I think it's important to know yourself, to know what you want, from what you expect from the students and from the parents and to communicate that. So I spend a lot of time in, in talking to people before I take a student so that they'll know what is involved in, in teaching. You know, I know that one of the young things that young people are doing today is doing everything online. And so many young teachers don't think they need to be part of an organization but I think that is very important. Um, it's important to me, the, the people that I have met, the other music teachers and keeping up with my profession through GMTA, VMTA first and, and GMTA in the last 24 years. But um, I, I think it's important for young teachers to have people that they can share questions with, problems with, and, um, and share their excitement over students, because I don't think you can really understand what it's like being a student and having that excitement unless you are teaching and, and knowing, knowing about the students. So I would say that getting, getting to know yourself and mixing with other teachers and also going to as many things as you can to learn to continually learn and 
you know, not just say, okay, I've got my degree um, and just I can teach because that takes so much out of you, but it doesn't put it back into you. So I think those are important things for young teachers to know. I know nowadays uh, young teachers are getting students on online and that's a big way to do that. And, and it has its place, you know, there you can have a music academy and have several hundred students and teachers working for you and things. And all of that can, can be done online, but word of mouth and your reputation is most important. And then the last thing I would say is that your health is very important and taking care of yourself. If something happens and you need to stop, do so, go back to it when you're well, but your health comes first before anything else. Diane, thank you so much for that advice for our listeners and for our young teachers. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've really enjoyed hearing about your life and your journey and the sincerity you have for this career path that um, you have chosen and the love that you have for your students. Thank you so much for your time. I know that you are very busy, so I really appreciate you talking to me and sharing your story with our listeners. I wish you happy teaching and happy students.